truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Thanks for joining us here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio podcast. I am Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin are here with me as well. If you would like to join us today, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And check out our new YouTube channel as well at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. It is a Monday. We will have our town hall coming up next hour, but it's the once a week or once a month where we do the uh, social media gets to ask all of the questions. You know what happens when you try to say three things at once? You don't say any of them. It is the once a month town hall that goes to our social media channels. Ask me anything. So we will do that coming up in the next hour of the show, as is the typical protocol. I have not seen these questions. I've not even looked at them. Todd has selected them. And then Aaron will be posing them coming up in the next hour of the program. Our good friend Bob Vanderplatz will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. We have a ton of stuff to get to today. The weekend was like a worldview smorgasbord. And I'm sure that's going to be highlighted in Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. While we were away, brought to you by the Nevada caucuses. Bernie Sanders is now your certifiable leader in the race for the Democratic nomination for the president of the United States after he pulled off a dominating win in the silver state. As of this recording, 96 percent of precincts are reporting and Sanders leads Joe Biden 46.8 percent to 20.4 percent. Pete Buttigieg finished a distant third with 13.9%, followed by Elizabeth Warren at 9.8%. Also, according to the Associated Press, Bernie Sanders is growing his lead over Pete Buttigieg in the total delegates count through three contests, 34 to 23. No other candidate has more than eight. Bernie Sanders' win in Nevada marks the first time a candidate in either party has won the popular vote in all three early states. Chris Matthews, your reaction? It is pretty much over unless that changes. I was reading last night, Brian, I know you're a history guy too. I'm reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940. And the general, Renault calls up Churchill and says, it's over. Former Democratic presidential contender Andrew Yang had this analysis. When I went around to Democrats, oh, actually, no, not Democrats, working class Americans around the country. If you have a D next to your name, it's like a scarlet letter. Like, they do not think Democrats speak to them. And I was talking to truck drivers and waitresses, and I was like, theoretically, aren't you who the Democratic Party should be speaking to and standing up for? But they thought that the Democratic Party wanted nothing to do with them. Mm. And that is, to me, uh, a real problem with the Democratic Party. You have to do some soul-searching if working-class Americans think that your party is not their party. Joe Biden tweets, Nevada, y'all did it for me. Thank you to all of our incredible supporters, volunteers, and organizers around the state. We couldn't have done this without you. Next stop, South Carolina. A Nevada caucus entrance poll from NBC News shows Joe Biden won black voters 34% to Bernie Sanders 28%. However, Sanders lapped the field with Hispanic voters 54% to Biden's 14%. No other candidate yielded above single digits with the Hispanic vote. Bernie Sanders also appeared on 60 Minutes this weekend and praised noted Cuban dictator Fidel Castro. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. 
you know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it? There's a lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right. And we condemn that. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is Bernie or death. Bernie o la muerte. The Bernie Sanders campaign has been made aware of Russian efforts to aid his campaign. That's according to the Sanders campaign itself. This happened at a Pete Buttigieg rally. Zachary, age nine. And this is a really touching question. He says, thank you for being so brave. Would you help me tell the world I'm gay too? I want to be brave like you. Well, I don't think you need a lot of advice from me on bravery. You seem pretty strong. To see you... It took me a long time to figure out how to tell even my best friend that I was gay, let alone to go out there and tell the world. And to see you willing to come to terms with who you are in a room full of a thousand people, thousands of people you've never met, that's that's really something. President Trump has named Ambassador to Germany Richard Grinnell as his next Director of National Intelligence. Lawrence O'Donnell, your thoughts? The president is a Russian operative. That sounds like the description of a bad Hollywood screenplay, but it is real. And it's one of those breaking news situations that suddenly makes recent news make more sense. Like the recent news that Donald Trump has outdone himself by appointing one of the most ridiculous incompetent stooges in the Trump administration to be nothing less than the acting director of national intelligence. Moving on, a professor at Shawnee State University in Ohio told a student there recently that he would not be using that student's preferred pronouns due to his religious beliefs. After the student filed a complaint with the university and the university sided with the student, the professor, Nicholas Merriweather, sued with the help of Alliance Defending Freedom. In court, a jury rejected the professor's religious objections and sided with the college. Essentially, this means the professor will have to start calling he a she or lose his job. Across the pond, Don Butler is a member of parliament. She had this exchange recently with ITV's Good Morning Britain. When a child is born... They are identified and observed in a particular sex. The child sex, is aren't born they? without sex, and the child is formed without sex yeah. in the beginning. But any wait, what? The child aren't is born they? without sex, and the child is formed without sex yeah. in the beginning. But I, any I don't. Anyway. I don't hold these opinions. I'm just wondering why the Labour Party has decided that it's not possible to have a discussion about them, and you're closing the discussion no, down. No, we haven't decided that you can't have a discussion about it. We're we saying have. that you can have a discussion about it, but the Labour Party should and must be a safe space. Yes, of so course. you cannot have dog whistle. Transphobia. Pop sensation Justin Bieber opened up about his faith recently. I believed in Jesus, but I never really like, you know, when it says following Jesus is actually turning away from sin. Mm. And so there's no, what, what it talks about in the Bible, it's like there's no obedience. There's no faith without obedience. So it's like I had faith about like, oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, but I never really implemented it mm. into my life. I never like was like, I'm going to be obedient. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by uh, our dog Caps, new obsession, Rough Greens Vita Smart, which is a supplement now. It's, it's for your dog. It's a supplement, though, uh, not a dog food. Why? Because a lot of the foods we feed our dogs are dead foods, just like the foods that are fed to us. And for the same exact reason, so they can have a longer shelf life for mass consumption. And that requires those probiotics, prebiotics, enzymes, microbacterias, vitamins, uh, a lot of those things, those nutrients that we need stripped out 
in order to keep that food, quote unquote, fresher for longer. And that's where Rough Greens Vitasmart comes in. It puts those things back in and you can mix it with your dog's food or your dog's water, whichever they prefer. Uh, our dog, Cap, prefers it uh, either way. He's fine with it either way because it, it, this must taste very good too because he woofs this stuff down every morning when it's in his dish. All right, so take Cap's word for it. It will make your dog's food even better. If you want to see your dog thrive again, just go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. Again, roughgreens.com slash blaze, or give them a call at 833-MY-DOG-33. That spells out to 833-693-6433. Well, is there some stuff to get to? In this montage, um, we're going to table the conversation with Pete Buttigieg uh, committing what I believe is a form of child child abuse as a presidential candidate. Uh, we're going to we're going to table that and discuss it in the overtime today for our Blaze TV subscribers. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, blazetv.com slash dace is how you can subscribe right now at a discounted rate if you go there. If you are a Blaze TV subscriber, good news for you. Just go to that website later today. It'll be uploaded there for you. Uh, also, keep in mind, we are we have transitioned now to uh, a new platform to host Blaze TV. So if you're getting messages about resetting your password and stuff like that, that's not, the sh- that's not a shadow ban, at least not yet. Uh, that's just part of moving to a new platform. And my understanding is if you get the, uh, the Blaze TV app on Android, it's not yet been updated in the Google Play Store, and that's up to Google whenever they get around to updating that. But until then, uh, blazetv.com. Uh, is where you can go and watch uh, all of our shows uh, right now. Uh, and and there's uh, several new functionalities on there. I think you're going to find are pretty cool about the new Blaze TV website as well. All right. So let's get to it, shall we? Um, there's a lot of, of retconning happening right now. And it's very similar to what we saw with Donald Trump in 2016. And there, there's, there's a lot of people right now that want to pretend. And I, and I don't, you know, I've never, I've, I've been on a panel with Chris Matthews one time. I don't know him at all. No, actually, we weren't on a panel. I was on the panel after he was on, asked to comment on what he said. So I've never had any direct interaction with him ever. I, I don't know several of the people that are attempting this right now. But it is, it, it's the same lie, and I want to make sure we don't buy into this, because I'm seeing some people in conservative media do this too. It's the same lie that was told about the ascendancy of Donald Trump, and, the, and that lie is this. Everything was fine here, we're all fine here, until this guy showed up. And this guy, he just broke everything. Everything's broken now. Donald Trump did not break anything. As I break down in my book, Truth Bombs, he is neither the problem nor the solution to the, uh, America's political paradigm. He is the symptom of it. He is the result of it. He is the kind of figure individuals usually, and, and large groups of individuals, usually turn to when they come to conclusions like what Andrew Yang was communicating in that video. You don't care about me. And you don't. That... I was, for many, many years, a lot of working class folks were willing to make a Faustian bargain 
to vote for all kinds of cultural rot gut, like help my nine-year-old son come out and gender reassignment surgery. That's how, that, that, those are its latest manifestations. But for many years, a lot of folks in working class America were willing to vote for stuff they, they would never permit to happen in their own home for a job for a job on an assembly line at an auto plant, at a union shop, for a job uh, in a mine. And they voted for it for many, many years. Values they would never permit to be taught in their own home, they voted for them because of an economic calculation. But in this decade, the Democratic Party has said, um, I'm altering the deal, Lando. We're going to alter the deal here. Pray we do not alter it any further. And here is the new deal. You now vote for the cultural rot gut and lose your job. That's the deal now. Because uh, we, we have to shut down the mines and because of fossil fuels and we can't do fracking because of what the temperature will be, we think, 500 years from now, if not later. So your jobs have to go. Your assembly line auto worker job has to go so that we can have amnesty, open borders, and import a whole bunch of cheap, cheap labor. They, they altered the terms of the deal. Working class America was perfectly fine, unfortunately, signing up for all forms of total depravity in order to get a guaranteed paycheck. But the Democratic Party of its own volition chose to alter those terms and say, we're going to take the jobs off the table too. And, and you just, you know, you just have to sign up uh, for, for the Soviet Union. That's the deal. They said to those voters what they say to conservatives. The offer is, you slit your throat or we slit it for you. And working class America said, there's nothing there for me. Now, you, have, you have forced me into a position now. You've turned me into a rebel. Lando, I'm, I'm Lando Calrissian. I tried cutting a deal with you. I was fine cutting a deal. Had to keep, you know, had to keep Bespin open here. Had to make the trains run. Got bills to pay. I was fine cutting this deal. But then you, you, you told me I, I couldn't have that now either. So I have no alternative but to join the Rebel Alliance now. And that's what Andrew, Young, Andrew Yang is addressing there. I would guess the median income in that room with Pete Buttigieg telling a nine-year-old uh, to be brave, who's at least two years away from the hormones that, that dictate desire and sexuality ever even emerging. He's at least two years away from that in the first place, at least, and I'm being kind, at least two years away, if not three or four. I'm guessing the median income, I, let me put it this way, I don't think there's too many people, I don't think there's too many truck drivers sitting in that room applauding Pete Buttigieg. I don't. I'd guess the vast majority of those people have a four-year college degree. The vast majority of them live in a six, well in a multi-six-figure home in the suburbs somewhere. I'd be willing to put good money on it, as a matter of fact. That's the new offer. And that's why Andrew Yang was, that's what he was communicating. These people think we hate them. Well, you do. You, 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 the Democratic Party has hated these people for many, many years. We're just willing to put up with them to, to get electoral hegemony. But now it's tired of doing that. And along those lines, Bernie Sanders enters into the fray. Bernie Sanders hasn't hijacked anything. Bernie Sanders is the fulfillment of everything. Let me say that again. 
Bernie Sanders hasn't hijacked anything. Bernie Sanders is the fulfillment of everything. Donald Trump is the kind of person people turn to when they figure out that the system hates them. So let me go get my own provocateur. Let me go get my own human form of skullduggery to negotiate on my behalf, to leverage the system on my behalf. Bernie Sanders is where people turn to get the ultimate wish fulfillment of what's been offered to them piecemeal for decades. It's ironic. I woke up this morning to seeing a slew of people in conservative media, my Twitter timeline, trashing Bernie Sanders over his new free childcare program. And here's a story from the Christian Post. Evangelical group lobbies the government for paid family medical leave, paid daycare. What is that? Free child care. That's what it is. What, what Bernie Sanders is advocating, we have been voting for and doing piecemeal my entire life. And I'm going to turn 47 years old in July. All my life we've been doing this piecemeal. All of my life. All Bernie Sanders is doing is saying, dude, it's time to round third and head for home. That's it. The dirty little secret here is Bernie Sanders is not unelectable this fall unless the economy tanks because of where he's at in policies. But because of his persona, he's an uninspiring, unlikable Soviet. He has one mode, and it's take my shoe off at the podium of the UN and bang it and point it at you, Nikita Khrushchev mode. He's a Nikita Khrushchev caricature. He's every Soviet premier ever. That's why he's unelectable. Unless the economy tanks. But the arguments we're making about what's affordable, what things cost, those will be very effective arguments in this election cycle. And maybe if you're lucky, the next one. But a time is soon coming and may arrive sooner than you believe when it will be an irrelevant argument. When the generation that is now heading off to Afghanistan where their fathers served and we are literally just flushing money down a a sand hole. Where the generation that has watched the Republican Party unable to come up with any true real health care reform because it's in the grips of the health insurance companies that don't really want competition and lower cost either. Because it's really in the grip of corporatism. That's, that's the Republican Party's answer to socialism is corporatism. Well, many of the same impulses that saw people say, I'll just go with Donald Trump then. Screw you. Are what's causing people right now to say, I'll just go with Bernie Sanders then. Screw you. You don't care about me. Bernie Sanders' base consists primarily of three people. I didn't say exclusively, okay? But primarily, Bernie Sanders' base consists of three people. A group of folks that the global economy and the technocratic corporatist economy has left behind. And that's where there's some crossover with Donald Trump. The second group, young people, Aaron's millennial generation, who 
are buying into this because it's the religion they were given, the religion of state that they were taught and, and you paid to have subsidized, as did I, and are paying for now. This is an evangelistic effort. This is, this is utopian in scheme and desire and an outcome. This is how we achieve this. They are the ones that are not turning to Bernie Sanders because they see bread lines out in St. Petersburg Square like it's 1960. But because um, for the same reason you went to a Billy Graham crusade, this is revival. This is religion to them. This is his, Aaron's generation's religion is this, statism, utopianism, egalitarianism. That's what Bernie promises. And then the third are Hispanics. I don't agree with the Daily Wire headline today that Bernie Sanders' comments on Cuba will kill him with Latinos. I don't agree with that at all. It'll kill him in Florida with Cuban Latinos. But Cuban Latinos in Florida are vastly different than Latinos nationwide, which is why Republicans do better with Latino voters in Florida than they do nationwide. Because those, a lot of those Latinos in Florida are Cubans, Cuban immigrants or families that still keep it, have a memory of what life was like under Fidel Castro. Like Ted Cruz, for example, although he's a senator from Texas. His father escaped and his aunt escaped that era. But Latinos nationwide, they come from a, a, part, a region of the world where the Christian church, just like in America, in America, the Christian church has been infested with a false teaching called the prosperity gospel. And I'm using the word infested on purpose. It's an infestation. It's a heresy. It's a scam. Well, in Latin America, they have been infused, imbued with really the, the same thing, but the other side of the coin. Liberation theology is what it's called. Here's what it is. Um, warmed over Marxism. That's what it is. It's just, a, it's, it's repackaged Marxism. That's all that it is. The current Pope comes from this region of the world. It's why he flirts with this off and on. It, it's why you'll hear the current Pope say incredible things about the evils of abortion. And then like five minutes later, okay, the Communist Manifesto comes out. Workers of the world unite. It's, it's why we can get, when we have standalone moral issues on the ballot, we get Hispanic voters to vote with us on those issues. But when we put a candidate on the ballot, we don't get many of their votes. Even George W. Bush, who knew, spoke Spanish, and had, had, supposedly did great with Hispanic voters, he barely got 40% one time, once. And that's by far better than any Republican candidate has gotten since we started tracking Hispanic voters about 1980, 84. Barely 40% once. The rest of the time, we get about a third of that vote. Why? Because there's two reasons Hispanics immigrate here, typically. One is because they're trying to escape a level of squalor. Thankfully, most Americans cannot even begin to understand. The other is um, because they come from a state where uh, the welfare state wrecked their country and they're out of money for benefits because they fused the liberation theology with the political ideology. And so who's got unlimited resources for a welfare state? We do. So you're right. If, if you want to tell me Bernie Sanders is odds as the Democratic nominee and he is going to be the Democratic nominee 
barring some form of a health fiasco, he's going to be the Democratic nominee. He's going to, Super Tuesday is eight days from today. Over the next eight days, he's going to rack up so many delegates they couldn't steal from him even if they wanted to. They tried doing it here in Iowa and it was so clumsy and so terrible it worked against him so poorly. Barring another health scare, he's going to be the Democratic Party nominee. And he likely lost the state of Florida this fall already with that interview. But elsewhere, Hispanics elsewhere, that's a siren song. They're, they're used to hearing that language. They were raised on it. The, the, form of, the aberrant form of Catholicism, just like you tend to see the, uh, the prosperity gospel in America, tends to be an aberrant form of Protestantism or evangelicalism sold to the American people. In Latin America, this is an aberrant form of Catholicism, and it is legion. It's everywhere in that part of the world. They come here with that bias. So what they hear from Bernie Sanders is the sort of pledge that they're used to responding to in their native country, but in a country that has so much more money and wealth and it can just print as much money as it wants and go into as much debt as it wants because there's no one to call the note. Not even China now that's trying to fight a pandemic. We stand alone. We can spend as much money as we want, impose any policies we want. There's really nothing anybody can do. So the welfare state has, is an endless gravy train. That's why they're rallying overwhelmingly to this. It's the message, it's the religion they were raised on. And yeah, they'll, they, will, they will largely oppose where Bernie Sanders stands on uh, tranny madness. But just as working class whites for decades, we're totally fine voting for moral depravity if it kept their, uh, their job at the union hall or kept their job in the mine or kept their job at the assembly plant. So will the Hispanics. That's just human nature. Bernie Sanders hasn't broken anything. He hasn't hijacked anything. He is the result of everything. This is always where this was going to go. Always. And this is a terrific opportunity for us from a worldview perspective. I was talking to a good friend of mine over the weekend, and he was concerned about, I just don't think Donald Trump has a, has a fully developed enough worldview to argue against this adequately. And I'm, I'm not worried about Donald Trump. And I'm not. He's, that act you saw in 60 Minutes last night, he's going to troll the hell out of that. Do Donald Trump's going to get suburban voters who hate his guts are going to be voting for him now, this November. I'm not worried about him. There's, a, there's enough of the what's left of America that a guy like Donald Trump knows how to rally and communicate those people, especially when he's got Nikita Khrushchev as, a, as an alternative. I wouldn't be surprised if he George McGoverned Bernie Sanders in November. But keep this in mind. Richard Nixon won a historic route over George McGovern in the election of 1972. But aside from, uh, from about half of the Reagan presidency, George McGovern's ideas won the next generation in a route. Let me say that again. Richard Nixon won the 1972 election in a route. But aside from about half the Reagan presidency, George, George McGovern and the spirit of the age that propelled him and the forces behind him won the next generation in a route. And they're not the cultural outsiders anymore. They run every influence sector in America right now.
So those of you that are old enough to remember the 1972 election, I wasn't born yet. Todd wasn't born yet. Aaron wasn't even on the radar for another 20 years. You probably get up the next morning and said, yeah, man, we beat back. We beat those hippies. Yeah, we're not doing any Red Scare here. And God bless America. Yeah. And then go back and look at the stuff George McGovern and his um, I Got Shock Treatments vice presidential nominee. Go back and look at the stuff they ran on in 1972 and compare it with the stuff the American left is saying today. And you're going to realize the American left right now is to the left, way to the left of the stuff George McGovern was even saying in 1972. And they've moved the Overton window way to the left as well. So the choice we have on the right in this election is, do you simply want to beat Bernie Sanders? Or do you want to beat and take on what is threatening to end our way of life in this coming generation? See, I'm more scared of the conservative movement and conservative media than I am Donald Trump. I think he can handle his business most of the time. When it comes to an adversary, just fine. I'm more concerned about us. Because we have been terrible my entire career at taking on the premise of what we're truly up against. We'll talk more about that in a moment. You go back to the Andrew Yang clip we talked about at the top of the show a little bit ago, Yang on CNN over the weekend saying, you know, when I was going around in, in Iowa, New Hampshire uh, as a presidential candidate, you know, I, I figured I'd go to the truck drivers and the retail workers and a lot of those people, because, you know, that's what the traditional Democratic base is. And a lot of those people think that, you know, uh, we're not, we don't care about them. Well, another reason that that's true is there's been a massive realignment politically in America. It's just gone largely unsaid and unnoticed. But it hasn't happened with a demographic group. It's, it's happened in corporate America. And corporate America ha- is by and large all in uh, for the new utopia. All in. They're cutting checks for it. They're funding it. Uh, pretty much at this point, unless you have somebody that just is, you know, is just been an old school conservative or uh, they're a person of deep faith, you're going to have a very difficult time going anywhere in corporate America that is not funding the causes that, that you are engaged in trying to oppose. It's trying to essentially end your way of life. I mean, how, how do we get, how does it become acceptable that a presidential candidate can uh, sit up there and, and coach a nine-year-old boy and how to come out as gay years before he actually has any of the markers physiologically that um, encourage, equip um, sexual behavior, desire in the first place. Well, corporate America is backing all of that, guys. They're backing it all. And, it, and so you're going to have a very difficult time in America today. I mean, I hate to get all 
uh, end timesy. But at this point, they might as well just go ahead and pass out like, you know, markers for your hand and forehead because the amount of places where you can go and do business in America today that isn't in to subsidizing all of this and supporting it. It's really small, which is why when that opportunity presents itself, take full advantage of it. And that's where Patriot Mobile comes in. It's the only conservative veteran-led mobile phone company with plans starting as low as $25 a month. Patriot Mobile offers the same unlimited talking, talking, texting, uh, that plans that you get from everybody else with the same reliable nationwide service as well except they don't stick you with those hidden fees that some of the big wigs try to get away with. So if you want to give it a shot right now, go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve and get a free activation when you use the offer code Steve. Free activation on any new line. When you go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve, use the offer code Steve. They'll throw in a free gift as well, but uh, take advantage of that free activation on any new line. Or you can give them a call on their U.S.-based customer service uh, line at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Well, it's been a few weeks. Let's welcome back our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. Good to see you, Bob. How are you, man? I'm doing very well. Good to see you. So when you left uh, to go on vacation, we asked you, hey, when we talk to you again in three weeks, where do you think this race is going to be to, to, for the, to be the Democratic nominee for president in 2020? Do you remember what your answer was a few weeks ago? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't think it was a few weeks because didn't we Skype a couple of weeks? So this is, You're right, we, but we the just, last time you were here in right. studio. Yeah, because we weren't sure we were going to be able to connect that way. So there was a possibility sure. it would be the last time we'd see each other in the, three Then weeks. I'm not sure what my answer yeah. was at that I don't point. remember what it was either. That's why I asked. I was hoping that you were going to remember what it was. Well, my guess, it would have been somewhere along the line of Sanders would have a, a clear runway and the Democrat Party would be doing everything they could to stop him to see if they could coalesce enough support. Um, we were just heading into the Iowa caucuses at that point, mm-hmm. our last show. Mm-hmm. And we saw it. I mean, I thought Sanders would have won and won bigger than what... I think uh, the I think split was. I think we're going to eventually learn that he did win because yeah. every time they take a count, he gets he keeps gets, going higher. Yeah, yeah, they originally tried to tell us he lost by four points, and now it's, it's it, there's a pack of cigarettes difference between him and Pete yeah. Buttigieg. Yeah. And yet Biden did way worse than I thought he would, and mm-hmm. Buttigieg did better than what I thought he would. So we have New Hampshire, and Bernie did win there. It was not as impressive as a win, though. But he's a win's a win. But a win is a win. Uh, Buttigieg overperformed his polling, but. While you were gone, we were sitting here on the three of us trying to look at the map ahead and figure out where anybody else wins. And we were really struggling. We couldn't come up with, you know, what was it? I think 14 total states, Nevada, South Carolina, and then the 12 on Super Tuesday. We looked at 14 states over the next two weeks. We Even being kind and, and, and giving him the most benefit of the doubt, we came up with two places we thought Pete Buttigieg could win. Um, we thought there might be, again, being kind. And this was, you know, I, I, I don't buy the Michael Bloomberg thing and never did. And I certainly don't after what we've seen over the mm-hmm. last week. Okay. We thought maybe there was two or three places that, that Joe Biden could outright win, outright win. Um, South Carolina. May, would be maybe a place. Mm-hmm. Although I think, I think Bernie will win there on Saturday. I think we're at the stage now where people want to vote for the person that they perceive to be the winner. You have to, we fought this in the Cruz campaign and you were on that campaign. The snowball's me. coming down yeah. the hill. Yeah. And she so got a re now we had a reinvented narrative when we got to super Tuesday, Oklahoma was the first closed primary state. The first time only Republicans could vote 
Ted Cruz pulled the upset there, and we could rein, re, reinvent or, or, or reinvent's not the right word because the mess the, the event the the, the results yeah, we, actually we, happened. We, we could reboot, but we could reboot and say, hey, this is we're going to have more of these closed contests now. This sure. is the first time only Republicans voted, and we didn't have a bunch of crossover Obama voters determining the Democratic nom or the Republican nominee, and so you could that was a that was a legit message that could create a reboot and you saw Cruz go on and have a very strong uh mid mid march to april uh you know leading in with wisconsin with that reboot they need a message reboot but but i don't know who provides that what i mean you have michael bloomberg is, is, is out there and some of the people that ran uh, you know um k6's campaign or on his campaign, trying to make the argument, everybody else drop out so we can go one-on-one -on -one with Bernie, but you were on the Kasich campaign. You guys, I mean, no one, <laughs> that, I can just tell you, whenever you make that argument, you've lost. If, if you can't make, the, if you can't make an argument on the basis of join our team because we have the best one that, that you want to coalesce with, as opposed to everyone else is weak, so drop out. You've already, I don't, tell me where the message reboot comes from they're they're now now that cnn and, and msnbc and all these places want to you know be honest about what bernie's actual views are all my life i've heard democrats say things about castor like what he said last night sure try to draw the dist they've been saying these things all my life it this is a common held view in academia it was when i went to college when you went to college this was 25 years ago it certainly was when aaron was in college just a decade less than a decade ago they're making it look like he has all these positions that are way outside of their own mainstream. No, he doesn't. He's the product of what they've been taught. No doubt. Me. He's the culmination of it. I mean, to me, I, I am speaking in... A, in he's either the culmination or he's the forerunner of this. Well, he, I think he's actually both. I think he is a lone... He's, he's the odd duck herald. A lone voice crying out um, from his lake house, screaming, make a crooked path for the coming religion <laughs> of state. Because yeah. I think this is where their nominees are going to be for the rest of our lives. They're just going to be in better packages than Bernie Sanders presents. Well, I totally agree. And matter of fact, uh, because you did the lead-in about uh, Pete Buttigieg bringing up a nine-year-old boy saying, this is how you tell the world how, how you're gay, and you can be brave and you can be bold like I am and, and be out there. I don't think that message helps him at all going into South Carolina and into Super Tuesday. I agree. I think that's, yep. that's a reminder that he did not want out there. Uh, and making that be the highlight of his campaign. So I don't see Buttigieg going anywhere anyhow. Warren, because she took down Bloomberg in the debate, that's what they're all giving her credit for, that she went after Bloomberg, and she went Chris Christie on Marco Rubio, but mm -hmm. she did that to Bloomberg. She got a bit of a bump. I don't see anybody stopping Bernie Sanders right now. If, if they do stop Bernie Sanders, it's going to be with the superdelegates, and that's going to throw that Democrat Party in a complete crisis and peril. I don't think they have the guts to even well, the stop him with the superdelegates. Yeah, the superdelegates are are defanged. And it, and this was done as a result of what they did to him in 2016. So and, and, and they don't have a say until you get to like the second round of voting at a convention. So they they don't have the ability to do this now. And And let's say Sanders comes into Milwaukee with 1,600, 1,700 delegates. All right, so he's about three, four hundred short of winning officially, but no one else is within like a thousand. He's they're, your nominee. He's your nominee because those folks are going to see, they're going to look out on that convention floor and they're going to see all of those Bernie Sanders people. They're going to see all of those young people and all those Hispanics. And they're going to look there and say, that's the future of our party. 
I'm not going to get caught on the wrong side of history here so that I'm excommunicated and out of this thing for good. They're not going to do that. So they've got, and this I think will be a fascinating thing with the black vote in South Carolina. You have Jim Clyburn, who's one of the highest ranking Democrats in the House. There's word today that he's going to endorse uh, perhaps likely Biden uh, trying to create a, you know, a firewall for Joe Biden between now and the South Carolina primary on Saturday. Here's the problem with that, though. Bernie Sanders has got 28% of the black vote in Nevada. It's not, so it's not like, you know, it, it's it's like he it's not like he has no cachet with that demographic. Oh, he did at all. well with the black vote. He did well with the Hispanic he vote. He dominated the Hispanic vote, and I that's where I want to go with you is the worldview side of this. I, I started talking about this with our audience that a lot of the sorts of things that me and a few others have been trying to get whatever is the conservative movement and conservative media to address, but doesn't always. Um, make for the easiest uh, clickbaity headline or story. But this is where we have to make a decision. Do we want to make money or do we want to preserve a country? All right, because um, you might make some money doing things a certain way in the, in the, in the interim. But from a worldview standpoint, all, all of the things that the right in America has ignored for decades, what was going on in the government schools, what was going on at the universities, all of the indoctrination there. Let's just focus on the economy. Yep. All of the things that we that people like you and I were told can't talk about any of those things, don't win any elections, nobody cares about. We're at the point now that all of these things are are now here. We're you're learning why the Reagan amnesty in 1986 wrecked the state of California, which went from a reliable Republican state to a place where you, a Republican presidential candidate is lucky if he gets 40% statewide. No reason to even go there. There's no reason. Same thing will happen if, if, if the Republicans do another mass amnesty, which they're talking about right now, by the way. If they do another one, Texas will go next. Same exact demographics, same exact reasons. And if you turn Texas blue, that's checkmate from an electoral college perspective. All right, these, the, because the worldview that Hispanic voters, unless they are Cuban dissidents, that's why Republicans always do better amongst Hispanics in Florida compared to the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. All right, unless they're Cuban dissidents, everywhere else they have come from a region of the world, just like Christianity has been infested with the prosperity gospel heresy in America. It's the opposite heresy that is that is infested Latin America, liberation theology, which is just warmed over Marxism. This is why they're attracted to Bernie Sanders. The stuff that he is saying is what they have heard in their native country and from the church. It's what they heard in homilies from priests all of their lives is what Bernie Sanders is saying. This is They're making a moral decision. And, and we have tried to avoid all because we felt like we got to excuse when when Donald Trump has has paramours and uh, and adulterous affairs, and we have to excuse when when this guy when this Republican John McCain's not really pro life, and we have to excuse when this Republican's first lady George W. Bush's is really pro gay marriage, right? We got to come up with all these calculations to win the very next election. And I said something last segment. I want to get your take on. In 1972, Richard Nixon won over George McGovern in a rout. And a bunch of traditional America probably got up the, the, next, the next morning, that first Wednesday in November, and thought, we beat back those hippies. We sent them a message, right? Who won the next 40 years, Bob? The Democrats. George McGovern won the next 40 years yep. in a rout. Except for about half of the Reagan presidency, they won every, they, every, what propelled George McGovern to that nomination won everywhere else in America for the next five decades. The same thing, if we're not, if we're not, 
if we're not more honest about what we're up against, the same thing's going to happen here. Donald Trump is going to McGovern him in November. Well, we can't quite have that because there's places where Trump can't win. Mm -hmm. But as much as everywhere that is not irrevocably polarized, Trump's going to beat him probably. Okay. But are we going to sit here 20, 30 years from now and realize, dude, you beat Bernie Sanders, but his ideas won the next generation because that's exactly what happened with McGovern. But, but it's not just that you beat Bernie Sanders if we beat Bernie Sanders. I would not underestimate him. I would not underestimate his movement, his ability to bring in new people and to energize a base. And we know this is going to be a base election. So I'm not near as confident that we can beat Bernie Sanders as a lot of people seem to be. But even if we were to beat Bernie Sanders, guys, we have been fueling this movement in our schools forever. This is going to come to roost. And so if it's not Bernie Sanders, it will be somebody else. And it will be a Congress. There will be other people uh, carrying that baton. And that's why, Steve, I think what you and I talked about a long long time ago, where the Republicans were saying, this is just bread and butter issues. It's kitchen table issues. Mm -hmm. That's where you need to focus the election on. Forget about all these other polarizing issues that divide us and lose us votes. Well, now it's coming home. No, this is a worldview issue. Uh, where Bernie Sanders and his his yoke is saying, you know, I want this to be about government is God. Government takes over everything. It's not just health care. It's not just the economy. Government is God. Yes. This is a religion he is selling. Yeah, without question, This is, is a religion. People are not signing up with this. This is not, I keep making this analogy. We're not in St. Petersburg Square in 1916 where peep, there are bread lines while the Romanovs are eating high on the hog. We are the wealthiest middle class. Hell, we're the wealthiest poverty class in the history of human civilization. They're signing up for this because it's a religion, because it's offering them utopia, deliverance, salvation. That's what is being peddled here. If we do not, if we merely see this as an aberrant, alternative, opposing, defeated economic theory, you've already lost this next generation. And that's where they kept the message the entire time. This is on an economic theory. It is not an economic theory. It's a worldview clash is is what this is. And we're seeing this come to fruition right now. And so that's why you take a look at America today. We've never had it better. We've never had it more prosperous in our entire life. And not only the wealthiest, whether it's whatever class you want to take a look at, we're also the most generous. You take a look at any other economy in in the world, we're the most generous. And yet we want to change everything. And the reason we want to change everything, because it does not match up with our religion. That's why this is a worldview issue. I think it needs to be addressed on a worldview issue. And the church, quite frankly, needs to be awakened in this process. How confident are you? How confident are you that you're going to see that this year? I'm not so sure we're going to see it this year because everybody's caught up into the immediate. And the immediate is either we need to reelect Trump yep. or we need to defeat Trump. It, That's the immediate. Well, here's the thing. And churches don't want to touch that. Sanders is going to make existential arguments all campaign. Sure he is. He, because that's what he's about. He's going to make those kinds of foundational arguments. And this is, again, where you he, it may, it will likely, I'm much more confident because I don't, I don't see too many places on a map that he reverses with the, with, the, with the practical outcomes of his policies, okay? But we're, we're approaching a, a generation that doesn't want um, any fracking or fossil fuels either. 
And so the, 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 practical, the practical consequences of his arguments are going to become irrelevant in the next few years. When, when your answer to Medicare for all is let's, let's do a mass bailout of the insurance companies so that they can, we can keep Obamacare in place. That was the Republican Party's answer that, yep. that for the, in the last Congress. When your answer to Bernie's calls for free child care are, now let's just have uh, Javanka care. Tax credits, if you spend it on, you've, you're, you're, you've lost. You've lost the You've argument. already lost the whole argument. You've lost the entire argument. And, we've and always, this is most of our arguments. And we've always said they're better at this than we are. So why try to argue on their playing field? Why not argue on our playing field? But the fact is, we forgot what it is about conservatism yeah, what is our playing that field? we want to conserve. Yeah, yeah. What, what's our playing field? Owning the libs, winning elections for election's sake. What, what, what's our playing field? What is it? Do you know what it is? Yeah. I work in this damn ministry every day for the last, uh, going on 14 years. Todd, do you know what it is? I don't know what it is. I know what get it clicks. is. Get oh, clicks? I don't know what it is. Oh, Steve, you know what it is. It's get Republicans elected, period. Get somebody with the R behind a name to elect. And you know what? They have sold us out more often. We don't even do that well because we don't even adopt talking points and issues that would actually help us. We actually take talking points and issues that actually further their causes. We don't even we don't even do this in a way we, we don't we can't even get them to make arguments that would get them elected. But this is why I think voices like yours, like Todd's, like Aaron's, why this program is going to be so essential, because there's going to be a gaping opportunity. And I'm not so sure who's going to secure it. But that gaping opportunity is who's willing to have the discussion on what really is happening here on the collision of worldviews. And we have a choice to make. Good to see you, my friend. See you guys. We'll come back. Social media, ask me anything for the month of February is next. And we're back with hour two, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dacier alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, youtube.com slash Steve Dace as well. And if you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you would mind leaving us a five-star review wherever you choose to podcast from, we would be very, very grateful because the more of those we get, the more of those help the show to be known and to grow, and the more likely we get to continue to do this show for you, the people. Thank you to all of you people that left us those five-star reviews already. If you haven't done so, please consider taking a couple of minutes uh, out of your busy schedule today and doing so. Let's get to our Monday Town Hall, and uh, this week, it's our monthly Ask Me Anything via social media, and it's brought to you by our friends over at Riduzone. I want to give you a reality check, all right? Because isn't Ash Wednesday this week? It is. It is, because tomorrow's Fat Tuesday, right? Okay. Correct. So, a lot of people are going to be like, man, this this is the week where there's going to be a lot of recommitments, Okay, about stuff that uh, you you committed to back in January and didn't follow through on. And one of the chief ones typically involves eating right, trying to lose weight. Here's the problem, though. Dieting alone can be too hard. Working out helps immensely, but ultimately you can't out-train a bad diet. You'll you'll get more overall health benefits from an activity schedule than you will from just pure weight loss. You've got to figure out how do you get 
your portion sizes, your cravings, because it's often not what you're eating, but how much. How do you get that under control? And that's where Riduzone comes in. It's the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. That is the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster, burn stored fat, and reduce your calorie intake at the exact same time. So if you want to give this product a shot, it's only available on their website at Riduzone.com. But if you go there right now, that's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone. If you go there right now and use my name, Steve, as the promo code, you'll get up to 65% off your first order. That's an immense discount, all right? Uh, Up to 65% off, plus free shipping as well. Free shipping as well. If you use my name, Steve, as a promo code at riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. All right, so here's how it works. Once a month for the Monday Town Hall, we let those of you The few, the proud, able to break through Facebook shadow ban and access our page. Uh, We let you guys uh, take the lead here, and you get to ask the questions that we answer here in the Ask Me Anything. Todd is the one that goes through those questions and selects the ones that we will be discussing. Aaron is the one that shares those questions that we will now answer. We'll start with this one. If you could have something in the Bible clarified by God himself, what would it be? That's from Braden Thomas Kelly. Sorry, didn't mean to step on the name there. Eschatology. Next question. That's pretty simple. I I don't need to take much time with that one. Eschatology would be my answer. Why? Why? Because even though I say I don't like talking about it, I am very fascinated by the topic. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly well read on it from a layman's perspective. And what I mean by that is I've, I haven't just read the predominant evan, you know, evangelical view that a lot of uh, American Christians know, which, you know, it was inspired by the Plymouth Brethren and the Schofield Bible notes that are two things most American Christians have never, ever heard of. I've studied the amillennial view, the postmillennial view, uh, the various views within the pre-mill view of you know post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib. It's a fascinating subject. It, it's it's the ultimate culmination of history, right? I mean, this is what we should be desiring as believers more than anything else. And yet, and maybe because of that, frankly, it has caused as much confusion. Um, unnecessary damage uh, to the credibility and cause of the church, uh, in the, especially in the last few hundred years, I would say, especially. So that's why. I think it's, I think it's when I say I don't like talking about it, I, I should clarify this more often. It's not that I don't think it's important. I think it's vitally important. I think it is of the utmost importance to some extent. But most of us struggle with any thought process on this outside of the particular version that we are emotionally attached to, that, that we were taught, we were sold. I would venture among Christians of a Protestant variety that are listening here today or, or watching today that I would say it's 90%. Couldn't, couldn't tell you what the amillennial viewpoint was. And I would say it's 98.5% couldn't tell you what a postmillennial viewpoint was. And on that, that latter one is particularly problematic because, you know, and this is not an endorsement of any particular view. Okay. 
But that latter one, that post-millennial view, there's no United States of America without that view. That was the view the Puritans had, the Pilgrims had. It was one of their driving impulses to come and believe they could um, form a civilization devoted to the cause of Christ was, was that eschatological view. Okay, that, that's, they, they thought that was their calling, their ultimate calling was to do that. Um, was to, you know, that part of that terraforming culture was part of the discipleship command of the Great Commission. They, that was inherent to their belief system. And, you know, I'll hear Christians without knowing what words like theonomy mean. I'll hear them a lot bastardize these terms. And, and you know, if, if I thought the, the post-millennial full preterist viewpoint was 100%, do I struggle when I come up with something certain to communicate that to you? Have you noticed that in the, how, you've, know, you've known me for almost 20 years now, right? Correct. It's, it's, it, it'll, it's been at least, six, it's, it'll be 16 years now that we've known each other. In the 16 years you've known me, Todd, if I think something is certain or I have been convinced that something is certain, do I struggle with, with claiming that certainty and expressing it to others. Have you known me to do that the last 16 years? No, which is why we were just joking about it regarding next year's Michigan-Ohio State football game. I mean, this is, right. this is your, yeah. if, if your, I, your jam. If I am convinced something is certain, I will tell you. And, and I don't care what your opinion of my certainty is. I, I don't. It has very little relevance to whether, whether you, your, your, your desire of, of, for liking me or approval of me has really negative integers. Also true of uh, impulse into my expression of something I think is certain. It just, it's just not a factor for me. Okay. If I thought the post-millennial eschatological view, the full, the fully preterist eschatological view, that's a fancy term for believing that virtually, that essentially everything, every end times event has already been fulfilled except the, the final return of Christ. Now there's different forms of preterism that I actually do think, there's a strong theological case for. But I think to be a, a, a true post-millennialist, and what does that mean? That essentially means the church, the church is triumphant ultimately in history. Okay? To be a, 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 a true, true post-millennialist, you have to be, I think, a real preterist. Because you have to assume that there's not any further things that need to occur um, for Christ to return. Okay? If I thought that that was a certainty, that eschatological view, you know which eschatological view I would have? That one. And I wouldn't care how minority of a view it was. In fact, the way I'm wired, that almost kind of reinforces my position because I just don't trust human. I have a very high view of human worth and a subterranean view of, of human nature. Okay? So um, I don't have a problem. You, you, you couldn't... You could, you could, you know, give me all of your Schofield Bible notes rehashed as the latest Left Behind book and shove it in my face a million times. It wouldn't change my viewpoint. But I don't think that. I think there's holes in that theory. That's why I don't, I don't hold that one here. However, if, 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 if we didn't have people that didn't fully believe in that theory, we wouldn't have this thing called America because that's what drove them. That's why they came here. That's, and that, you know, theonomy, that's the reason why the laws of nature and nature's God, um, Blackstone's commentaries, any law, out, any man-made code outside of the law of God or in, con, in conflict with the law of God should be disregarded as null and void on its face. That, those are the, theonomical assumptions. And a lot of Christians just throw these terms around like put-downs. They don't even know what they mean. 
And it's and 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 often they'll also be the same believers that are like the most politically engaged. And we have to vote for Team GOP every election to save America. That America is always on the that this is always the most important election. While at the same time they throw Puritan around like it's a bad word. Right. Well, this thing that you want to save called America comes from uh, post millennial puritanical theonomical thinking, and that's why I don't like talking about it. <laughs> because I, I want, I, I have a great desire to. I just don't think most people do. I, I think most people, when they tell you they want to talk about it, what they really mean is, I want you to affirm my pet theory, and then I want you to get into the nitty gritty of of, uh, of navel gazing and lint peddling on the most, um, well, you know, the sores that appear after the fifth bowl judgment. See, I mean, what, what kind of sores do you think those are? I mean, that's that's what most people mean when they want it, when they say they want to talk about it. And that's that's why like that's my this, experience. I could be wrong. No, and that's why I think uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people probably would have the same type of answer uh, as you because of that last example that you just pointed out. Most, not all, but most of eschatological viewpoints are formed from their two different types of prophecy. There's straight prophecy, like the prophecies, all of those surrounding the coming of Jesus Christ, and apocalyptic. Apocalyptic is what you just pointed out as well, where it's this imagery that nobody really knows for certain. We can have some fairly educated guesses most of the time on what they mean, but there's just a lot of it, again, not, not all, but a lot of eschatological views are based on apocalyptic uh, prophecy, and it's really, really difficult to deduce. And just to add some further context to this, now that we're on the, f- the fifth minute of me talking about this, after saying I didn't want to talk about it, um, and I, and, and by the way, I was willing to let this go with a one-word answer. This Catholic over here that you gave me prompted this entire last five-minute rant. So Foiled I'm by you. Erasmus again. Yes. <laughs> Curse, Erasmus. Thank you, Aaron. Well played. So the whole last six minutes are his fault. I was just going to let this go with a one-word answer. That didn't suffice for him. He, he wanted some... Uh, tradition and textual context to the uh, to to my uh, you, literal uttering. You could have said any word you wanted to. You said eschatology, and I said, "Oh, <laughs> yes." Um, on when we went to Nashville, I uh, took a book with me. I read it uh, on the flight down and on the flight back, and the book was called "Interview with the Antichrist." And it's not the the greatest read or written book I've I've ever encountered, but the story that is told is very compelling. And it, it, it's told from the, it, it's kind of a takeoff of Interview with the Vampire, where a guy gets to interview this vampire, Louis, about his life experiences. In this case, you're reading the utterances of the guy that gets to re, he gets to interview the Antichrist. And he gets to, gets to interview him as he rises to power, okay, as he takes power while he's in power. And it ends with, um, there, the next day is the showdown, um, at, uh, at Megiddo is the next day. And that's where the book ends. Story is very compelling. It's not the best written by any stretch, um, but it's very compelling. And it's all, of course, written from an explicitly premillennial dispensational viewpoint. And, and again, if, if I thought that that one had certainty, which position do you think I would hold Prima. with that one? So I enjoyed the book immensely. I've, I've, it was mailed to me, the sample. I read it all the way through. I read it on, my, on, the, on the flight there, enjoyed it quite a bit. So I'm really interested in this topic and have been i've read it i've read every left behind book tw- at least twice all of them 
Um, I, I mean, I've read the nonfiction companions. It's a topic I'm very fascinated with. And I wouldn't even ask, you know what? I wouldn't even ask the Lord, you know, I know Jesus said, no man knows the date or the, the, the date or the hour. I don't even need specifics. Like just which theory I don't need you to fill in the blanks, dot any, dot all the eyes. Which of these theories is the orthodox one? And here's why I would. Here's here's why. Because I should answer this too. Here's why. Because I think which of those eschatological views you have goes a long way in motivating how you engage the culture around you. And the expectations you put on your ability to influence others with your faith. If you have a view that this world is getting worse no matter what the church does, that obviously will, we've talked about this before, right? Mm -hmm. There will be practical consequences to that. You may look at that really stubbornly resistant person in your family or your neighborhood and think, well... It's going to be a great falling away as opposed to being persistent with that person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Um, especially if you're involved in political activism, which is my mission field. That's my vocation. I mean, you know, if things get worse, no matter what, that's a pretty strong argument for then just voting team GOP every time against what the left wants just to hold on to as much as you can for as long as you can. That, right. I, I, sure. that, make, that makes a lot of sense. That viewpoint does actually. Okay. If I have an amillennial view, and I think that um, that this ends with a, a you know the city of man and the city of God just coincide with one another, competing for the affections of the of of human civilization until Jesus returns, um, and that's the that's the grand scheme of things that has an impact on how on, on what my expectation level is in certain situations as well. If I have the viewpoint that the church is triumphant in history. Boy, does that create a, a, a different set of expectations, right? Yeah, that's why I would like to know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. It's not for me to know the 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 layout or specifics of the plan. I wouldn't even dare ask. But boy, if I knew which of these views was was the most orthodox, I, I just think it would make me better at what I'm called to do, and um, better as a disciple too. That's why I'd want to know. All right. Next question. This is from John Myers. He says, our current societal paradox is that our focus is on me and not we. Politicians on both sides pander to our me filter. I see this as starting nearly a century ago with the New Deal programs with a contemporary or temporary respite of altruism for World War II before turning inward again. This greed has left us walking away from faith and has left us with an empty why in terms of the purpose for our lives. Do you agree, and what would be your recipe for society to regain purpose and altruism in our lives? John, I think that's an excellent question, and, and I, think you're, I think you're on the money with the chain of events, but I think you've got to go back an era. What we saw in, what we saw in America leading up to the era you're talking about is— the infusion of evolutionary thinking in the West. And you have in the late 19th century, you have 
uh, the progressives take over the Ivy League schools, particularly Harvard Law School. Natural law is thrown out. Legal positivism, case law um, is introduced. Uh, the idea that the law is an evolving standard. What you saw in some areas of corporate America is we we went from the story of a of an immigrant named Carnegie who becomes an all time mogul to the to the American robber baron. The idea that those that are doing quote unquote unskilled labor are beneath me. They're chattel. They live for me. I'm the more evolved species. I'm, I'm, this is survival of the fittest, natural selection. And I have this wealth because I'm better than you. This all set the stage. The idea that I can run an entire stock market on margin calls and credit. And we're all just kind of good for it here because we're the we're we're the good we're the people we're the good people we're the people we've been waiting for we used to call it in america the protestant work ethic why did we call it that well, where did it come from from those dastardly pilgrims and puritans that's where it came from so this idea that um you know i i can bat i don't have a problem putting children to work on my assembly lines for um, slave labor. And then, you know, I just show up at my Methodist church on Sunday, sing a few hymns, cut them a check, and it's all good. This created the conditions for calamity and covetousness. There needed to be a market for what FDR was selling with the New Deal. Where did that market come from? From the conditions that had occurred in the era prior that I just described, among others. You had uh, a terrible tariff disaster under Herbert Hoover. Lots of things conspired together here. But a worldview took hold in certain sectors of the culture that set the stage for this. And FDR, if, if there was a thriving middle class in America, would, would people have signed up for the Tennessee Valley Authority and the New Deal? Would they have done so? Less likely. Yeah, far less likely. Why would people sign up for the New Deal? Because there wasn't a thriving middle class in America. Well, why wasn't there one? What, what things had occurred beforehand? And I think it's similar to the argument, Sanders is not a paradigm shift. He is a paradigm fulfillment. The things he is saying are things I've heard Democrats say my entire life. Just, he's going for the clothes. He's made it around the Monopoly board and it's time to go ahead and take Boardwalk and Park Place now. And the lefty media doesn't disagree with him. Maybe some of them do. You know, there's probably wealthy people like Chris Matthews that are like, 
dude, I'm already paying an exorbitant amount top marginal tax right now. I don't, you know, mind paying another couple of points with the money I'm making so we can have like the rainbow jihad and stuff. But now you're talking about like a wealth tax and true, true. You're, that's with the clip we had from Bill Maher last week. Mm-hmm. There's some of that, sure. But this is always where this was going to go when we had the counterculture of the baby boom generation. It was always going to end here because it's the most logical place for it to go. And barring divine accountability, we have no ability on our own as a species to apply the bricks. Once we, once momentum in this, in the, in the direction of depravity begins. The, the scriptures don't say, Hey, go ahead and go out for a drink after work with that coworker you're attracted to that you're not married to. And, you know, just kind of hang out and flirt and kind of, you know, get that feeling of that you had when you were younger and then just don't you know, go home to your wife and, you know, is that what it says? Hmm. No. What does it say? Flee! Run! Why? Are the odds higher that that coworker and I are going to end up in a hotel room or her apartment together if we go out for that drink? Or if we never do, where, where are the odds higher? The drink. If we go out for that drink, odds are much higher. Okay. The odds are infinitesimal if we never do. And that's the same thing that applies here. All Bernie is saying is we went out for that drink. We've been flirting, sending each other texts at night. At what point here do we round third and head for home? That's all. That's his whole argument. He's basically writing a country music song. Is yeah. what you're saying. Yep. This is where it goes. This is, dude, you want to know who Bernie Sanders is? Conway Twitty, man. Oh. You want a man with a slow hand. You want a lover with an easy touch. That's what's going on here. That's all that's going on here. Man, I, I remember listening to my <laughs> Nana, listening to that song when I was a kid. And then when I was an adult and I realized what it was about, I was like, Nana! There are subscribers across America right now. Oh, hell no. You did not just do that to my boy. That's all he's doing. Enough is enough. We've exchanged enough pleasantries. It's what we both want. So what are we waiting for? That's, that's what the Bernie Sanders candidacy is. It's the last rung on Maslow's hierarchy. That's it. It's the last step down the rabbit hole. That's it. He didn't make the rabbit hole. He didn't drill it. Didn't dig it. We're already this far gone. Last year, Mike Lee did a video with Javanka that you can keep your money from the government if you spend it the way the government wants. Who makes arguments like this every day? Who? Bernie Sanders does. That's every Bernie Sanders argument. That's every Bernie Sanders argument ever, 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 ever. Similarly, FDR didn't just get up one day as the governor of New York and say, you know what I think might make me president? Proto-socialism. Let's try it. No! 
conditions had to be created. There had to be a, a market. Sometimes I wonder if we on the right really understand markets. Like when you guys get mad oh, that we do commercials. Heck no. Yeah. When you guys get mad we do commercials. How do you think? You think we're all doing this for free? I mean, it, it, I, I wonder if we understand markets on the right sometimes. As much as we claim to worship at the altar of them. A guy, I've told you before, 70% of the time in American history, incumbent presidents win re-election. It's very difficult to beat an incumbent president. How did FDR do it? In a route. It's, it's even harder to route an incumbent president. How did FDR do it in a route over Herbert Hoover? Where did the market come from that people thought, this is what I want? Where did those conditions emanate? FDR was the fulfillment of those conditions. Just as Bernie Sanders is the fulfillment of them now. I wish I knew. I'm sure some of it is. There's a lot of people just doing conservatism like Joe Walsh. Tea Party champion. In the last five years, or in this decade, Joe Walsh has gotten elected to Congress as a Tea Party champion. Was an absolute Trump shill in the primary when people like me were warning about him, to Trump derangement syndrome. That's insane. There's only two reasons that you make this kind of an evolution as a human being. You're insane or you are a whore. Those are the only two reasons. You're insane or you're a prostitute. Nobody's sane, not on the take, has these radical swings. So you're either lying about being a Tea Partier, lying about being a Trumper, or lying about not being one now, or you were just lying all three times. Uh, uh, Will comment for food. Who's paying the check? That's what I'll say. Or you should be committed because you're clinical. Any argument against that point? No. Nope. No. Okay, good. So what created the conditions for this? I mentioned Richard Nixon in 1972, his historic route of George McGovern. Do you know what one of the economic policies Richard Nixon pursued to stave off an inflation in his second term? Do you know what he pursued? Do you know? Price controls. Price controls, he thought, was the answer to staving off a recession in his second term. Price controls. Which candidate ran for office in 1972 on price controls? George McGovern or Richard Nixon? Well, almost certainly. It was McGovern. George McGovern. George McGovern did. How many times did we beat back the left? Only to then turn around and get their policies. And then retcon it. And retcon just simply means redefine it. Agate prop it. In a way that fits the narrative that we want right now. That's all it means. So how many times did we decide, hey, you know what? Um... Is this compassionate conservatism? Compassionate. I was going to go there next. Yeah. And then you know, Americans will never vote for a guy who openly runs on the government taking over the healthcare system. I don't know. They just voted for a Republican who openly voted for the largest, uh, you know, welfare state program ever and called Medicare Part D. Why wouldn't they just go for the Coleman? Why wouldn't they just consummate the relationship at this point? <laughs> We'll be right back.
spring cleaning season will soon be upon us, and we got a nice little preview of that here in the Midwest yesterday. It was like 62 degrees, absolutely gorgeous. But uh, if you get to spring cleaning, you're like, this is the year I've got to replace those carpets. Before you make that major purchase, make sure, if, especially if it's because of pet stains and odors, make sure you try Genesis 950 because it's an amazing pet stain and odor remover that breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so that they are gone for good. And with its antibacterial component, it'll remove those stains and odors, not just from the carpet, but down in the padding. That's where it gets really problematic is down there. All right. It can be used in carpet cleaning machines as well. And it's green enough that it's safe for your families and pets. In fact, you can use this to clean anything in the home, uh, the grease stains in the garage, the, the really nice uh, quartz and granite in the kitchen and the bathrooms. But where it can really shine for you right now is getting those pet stains and odors out of your carpet to save you from making a major carpet purchase here. Before you do that, give Genesis 950 a shot. Go to Genesis950.com. That's Genesis950.com. That's their website. Use the promo, clo- promo code BLAZE when you go to checkout, and you will get a discount for Genesis950.com. That's Genesis950.com, promo code BLAZE for your discount. All right, let's get back to our Monday Town Hall. It's the monthly version the social media ask me anything next question aaron all right a few of the last ones we'll tackle are a little bit lighter in nature this is from blake johnson who says have you finished watching the final season of cw's arrow what are your thoughts on the series as a whole i've not finished i haven't started it actually the last couple of years when these things all moved to netflix now like a week after they wrap their seasons i just wait until they show up at netflix and then just binge watch them and then i i can also just decide that's a dumb subplot i don't care about i don't care about this emotional subplot i don't care so i can just sit there and fast forward through all those episodes and everything else you know um i think i watched the last season of arrow i think it was 23 episodes i think i watched the last season I'd say combined about three and a half hours. See, I don't understand how you do that. Neither do I. I, I can't. I, I, if I watch a TV show, I got to invest in it, even in the stupid stuff, even the stuff I don't care about. I have to invest in it because I got, I got to know what happens, even for stuff that really doesn't matter. I, I don't understand. See, I, I, it's easier when you're in season six and you you, you know where a lot of this stuff sure. is heading. Okay, so by now the the overall meta arc is established, and and that's really all that I care about. You know, I don't the. Uh, um, and it's like every character has to have, especially because most of these subplots now and most of these relationships now, every character has to be uh, gay or bi-curious. I, I don't care. You know, so I'm, I'm just fast forwarding through. So I don't know what's going on with the last episode or last season of Arrow. And I won't know until it debuts in, on Netflix here around the middle of May. That's when I'll watch it all. The, the, I will say the last couple of seasons, the show has fallen way off. First couple of seasons, the show was absolutely terrific. And I could get my wife to watch it because she likes that Stephen Amell. She likes him. Yeah. So I could get her to watch that with me too. All right. Bruce Logan asks, if you were commissioned to create an advanced Marvel level storyboard for the next follow-up Star Wars trilogy, which uh, with presumably Ray as the heroine, and that would knock it out of the park in such a way that would make even Todd overwhelmed with joy and excitement. What would be some examples of what your storyboard might look like? Uh, he says, would, for example, you incorporate Broom Boy as an Ezra Bridger-type apprentice of Ray, and then have them go on some sort of epic adventure? Would you start from scratch with all new characters and storyline? Incorporate uh, some of the previous Star Wars books? What would you do? Um, this is what I would do. If... if 
if Disney came to me and said, how this because Star Wars is actually doing very well for Disney everywhere except the cinematic universe. The, the new series of books they're doing, they've made numerous New York Times bestsellers list. Of course, the attractions they've added at Disneyland and Disney World. Um, the animated uh, products um, have, have been very, very li- successful and well-liked. It's the cinematic universe they're struggling with. So here's what I would tell them to do. Not have any characters that have been in any of the Star Wars movies that you have produced including none of the none of the original people and and none of the new characters that's not to say that um i would not have any future for ray or poe um because there's elements of those characters that people like especially ray okay and elements that i like but i think that this current line of movies has tainted your cinematic brand and i i think that you need a break and something totally new and totally different. And what I would urge them to do uh, is to go way into the past and take the audience through a, you know, um, and you can do like the video game Knights of the Old Republic that was very very popular. But I mean, the origin of the Sith, where um, a lot of the the the. Um, where a lot of the dark side of the force comes from, I would take, I would go to the, I'd go way to the past is what I would do. Try to create as much distance as I could. And the the reason I wouldn't go to the future is because that still has to be tied some way to the movies you just did, right? Because the movies you just did are the history of if you go to the future. I, I think you need to give people a break from everything that just happened. And went down. And I think you need to hire one stories are. And and their job is to make sure that and I would I would I disagree with getting rid of trilogies. Star Wars invented that term. Don't get away from your brand. Well, you've heard me say this about your sport baseball. Baseball can do things to modernize itself, but don't do it at the expense of your brand. You're the grand old game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's things you can do to make the game go faster if you want. But but you know having rules where well you have to pit, you have to pitch a pitcher a certain amount of it that's not your problem. Okay? That that's not your issue. Don't 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 do that. Don't take the uniqueness out of uh, your your distinctiveness away. Don't homogenize it. So I would it would be a trilogy. Star Wars invented the concept of a trilogy. Audiences for a half a century have shown they respond to the notions of Star Wars trilogies, right? Mm-hmm. This is a trilogy of films, and I might distance them a little bit more, okay? Although every other year is fine. That's two years is a long wait nowadays. And so this gives you if, you, if if the first one came out in 2022, you would now have an entire decade away, plus away from the controversy around these films. And then if you want to go back and reintroduce Poe and Ray, because now many years have gone by and there's all kinds of things you can do. What's changed in their lives and in their characters arcs, you know, there's much more time has gone by and you don't have to worry about things like how did one, how did this young girl who'd never held a lightsaber in her entire life, pick one up, you know, uh, in, in the middle of a blizzard 
and whip a Dark Lord of the Sith behind with it. Right? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. So go way back to the distant past. And here's the other reason I would do it. Because it demonstrates that you have regard for the source material. That's the number one problem the Star Wars cinematic universe has right now. Is that it's, it's P1 fans are doubting whether they have a high regard for the source material. And, and here's the problem with that debate. Once that debate begins, then you start turning your fans on one another. Because people that are a little bit more conservative or traditional in nature, they will project and like, I think you do this, um, project and say, well, you really don't care about the source material. You're trying to, you know, turn this all into uh, social justice warrior wars, right? SJW wars. Okay. And then the people who believe in that political message are going to feel like they've got to defend bad storytelling because their political viewpoint is at stake, right? Okay. And you split your own fans and turn them against one another when people of all these various political viewpoints, this was once a unifying thing in the culture and you have turned it into something that no longer is. It's dividing people. So take it back to the source, go into the past, the history that's already been written, tell that story, show that you honor the source material, spend a decade telling that trilogy. Where did the Sith come from? And what what and 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 that's an also a way that you can you can since I've used this word now for a fifth time today, you can retcon the ham-fisted way you resurrected the emperor in the last or the rise of Skywalker, because you can show what the ultimate end game of the Sith was dominion, that the seeds were planted thousands of years before Palpatine. Some of the, some of the methods that were used that Charlie from lost references, like his only line of dialogue in the movie. Okay. You can, you can fill in the blanks of those things and you can, you can do undo what I think has been the biggest mistake of this whole series that I have to read books and encyclopedias to actually know what the hell is going on that you don't tell me in the movie, right? They're always coming out with these extra things. They make they start making a lot of these things make sense. I, I, I go to the movie to, I, you, do you know where I want to know and learn about the plot of a movie? Can you guess where that might be? In the theater? In the plot, in the movie. Yeah, when I'm watching it is where I'd like to know. I'd like to know, okay? And that's the other reason I would do it. So that, that would be my answer. Next question. All right. This is from Terry Burke O'Mara, who says, Today's gospel reading, this was from yesterday, was uh, Matthew five thirty-eight through 48. I understand that we are required to forgive those who do evil and persecute us. However, the priest in his homily stated, We aren't supposed to resist or fight back those who are doing evil to us. His example was St. Stephen, who was stoned to death by the authority of Saul, later Paul, and asked the Lord to forgive his killers. As he was dying, uh, do you believe that this reading means we aren't supposed to resist evil under any circumstances when evil is being done to us? Can I say one thing, since this is my tribe? Uh, yep. uh, this, I, this needs to be taken in the most generous way possible i this this is a very important question and it I, I, the priest may have done something crazy uh, and said something that's totally out in left field but i, I, I answer the question in light of the the it, him not just saying it's your duty to simply you know take a bullet in the head uh, and have every evildoer mow you down i don't i 
I want to make that clear. I think it's the spirit of the question that goes way deeper than some at face value. We're just so knee-jerk and travel. I don't think you would do it, but I, I first hearing of some people might say, oh, you just, yeah, just let the joker, you know, slit your throat. Let's assume for the sake of argument that this was far deeper than that. Well, I've had plenty of Protestant um, Protestants come to me that think a literal, because, you know, sola scriptura, so a literal interpretation of Romans 13 means you just do whatever the government tells you to do. To me, it's the, that's the same yes. argument that this priest is making here. And, that, and, and so um, words mean what the person who wrote them meant them to me. That's what words mean. The person who wrote them meant them to me. Okay? We, we, don't, we don't practice reductionism or, or postmodern deconstructionism in the church. That's what pagans do. So, for example, let me, I'm going to use the context that, because I think this applies as a general principle, especially since Saul, Paul, is invoked, and it's, it's Terry, correct? In yes. Terry's question, okay? So, Paul writes in Romans 13 that since there is no authority on earth except that which God has ordained, do everything government tells you to do. If that is your interpretation of what Paul says there, then you have to answer this question. Why was Paul beheaded? Because Paul says in Romans 13 that rulers are a terror to those who do evil, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you do good, you have nothing to fear, right? So if Paul did, if, if good is defined by whatever the state says, and if, it, if what Paul meant in Romans 13 was to, um, was to do anything that the state tells you to do, then why was he beheaded? Because if he was doing everything the emperor told him to do, why would there be a cause to behead Paul? Right? Yeah. So he clearly was beheaded because he didn't do everything the emperor told him to do. Right? Correct. So that must mean that Romans 13, who wrote those words? Him. He, him. So th- those are Paul's words. So the words mean what the person who wrote them intent f- intended for them to mean. Because no one else wrote them. He wrote them. So who else would we go to to know what something meant other than the person who actually wrote the words themselves? Right? Correct. Correct. Okay. So Paul clearly didn't mean that you just do whatever government tells you to do because it was clear that there were some things government told him to do that he didn't do or told him not to do that he kept doing. And that's why they took his head off his body. And see, we had to leave, we leave out like the next line in there where Paul says, give honor to those whom that honor is due. That's also in Romans 13. So the reason Caesar took Paul's head off is Caesar demanded an honor from Paul that Caesar is not owed. And Caesar says, well, I would like that honor and give it to me or your head. And Paul said, well, I guess I'll I'll see you on the rack tomorrow, I guess. The answer is no, I'm not doing that because I fear the one, not that can cast, destroy my body, but the one that can destroy my body and cast my soul into hell. Now, as to the notion of just sitting there and just taking it, You have to understand the cultural context here. Stephen is a first century Jew. It is illegal for him to own a sword. So like when it's according to some of the Roman traditions at this time, Jews could not be armed because they were constantly, the Romans were constantly fearful of zealot rebellion. So when Jesus gives his, if if, if that historical tradition is true, then, then, then it also means, and I think it's in Matthew, when Jesus gives his disciples a sword, that's an act of civil disobedience. They, they were Jews. They weren't to own swords. 
They were to be disarmed. Because they were constantly rebelling against Roman authority. Stephen is unarmed. He is overmatched. The, what, what reasonable expectation of self-defense existed here? What, what, what reasonable expectation existed? Almost none. Almost none. Did he have his children with him, a wife? Were there people under his charge at this time? Were there? No. He is alone. So there is no one under his charge that he is called to, as their, to be their protector, right? As a father, as a husband. They're not in the picture here. This circumstance simply isn't, isn't, isn't a universally applicable one. And secondly, if we're just to sit there and just take it from the world, Jesus stepped between us and the world to take it on our behalf so we could escape hell. Love knows no greater man than this, a man that would lay down his life for his friends. I mean, Christianity is a faith whose genesis is someone who sacrificed themselves on behalf of others. Isn't that what your first responders? Isn't that what your, your military? Aren't they doing their own variation of that? Their own willingness to lay down their life for others? Does that pastor really mean that if a child predator broke into your parish and right in front of him began molesting the children, that he should have no recourse and that, the, that a Lord who left heaven, left paradise to slum it with sweaty, nasty, bowel movement having humans... And took the eternal bullet on their behalf. What he really meant is for your priest to stand there and do nothing while the children were being molested by a sexual predator. That Lord who ran to the hottest conflict in the history of the cosmos right to its epicenter is preaching that level of passivity to your priest. And to you, I don't think so. That's going to do it for today. Is that answer okay? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for all your questions. We'll do it again next month. For the rest of you, have a great day. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.